welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Welcome to the ABCA's mini-series, Father and Son. In this series, we cover the coach-player and parent-child relationship through the eyes of the coach and their sons who played for them. This is a truly unique relationship, and this mini-series should be of value to any coach, parent, or player. Thanks for tuning in, and please enjoy Father and Son. Next on Father and Son are Mike Martin Jr. and Sr. This pair is the most prolific coaching combo in college baseball history. In 25 years together as a player coach or coaching duo, they had 17 Super Regional berths, 10 College World Series appearances, and averaged over 40 wins per season. 11 ended with 2,229 wins and is the all-time winningest coach in Division I baseball history. Junior took over the Florida State baseball program this past season after 22 years as his dad's assistant coach. Welcome to Father and Son. Can you guys both talk about Junior's Junior going to Manatee first? You know, what were those conversations for both of you uh, that he was going to go to Manatee Community College first? Well. As usual, he wouldn't listen to me because I wanted him to come to Florida State after his senior year of high school, but he felt like the best thing for him was to go to Manatee. And their coaching staff, this first class, they, they do such a great job at Manatee. And I'm just very pleased that he made that decision because after a year down there, he made a lot of improvements and uh, the catching situation was it exactly worked out for him little did we know it was worked out for him a guy got hurt he was able to to literally go into the coach hill's office and say i've caught before and the rest is history but mike can elaborate more on that yeah i uh i wasn't much for school and i my whole thing was i wanted to go pro and i was you know i was johnny big shot and i was going Go to Manatee for a year or two, what have you, and sign pro. And then, you know, I get down there, and, yeah, I enjoyed it. But also, it was like, man, you know, I, not as cool as I thought, you know, and as uh, being away from family and uh, all my buddies, Link Jarrett was the shortstop, and Andy Serrano was playing third, Alan Davis was the second, Kevin McCray was at first. And these are all the guys I grew up with. Um, of course, the phone calls back then to, to my buddies, um, you know, they're like, get back up here, you know. This is this is where you need to be, and uh, I'm, I'm glad I did. It's, uh, this place is special. What about Junior? What about that first year at Manatee? How did that help you then going to Florida State? Well, I had caught and a little bit, not much at all, and um, you know it, it worked out. You know, I ended up learning to catch. You know, I had a funny story. The first hitter steps in, first time I'd put the gear on in you know years, and. Uh, Guy swung and hit me right in the back of the head. So I realized I was a little too close to the hitter. Um, but yeah, I um, you know, thrown into the fire and learned on the fly and uh, enjoyed it. And then it worked out where we needed, you know, catching here at Florida State. And, um, 
combine that with again all my buddies you know it was worked out great and senior he comes to fsu you guys go to back-to-back world series appearances in 94 and 95 talk about how special that was you've got a son on the team and you guys go to the world series back-to-back years oh no doubt it's a memory that you'll cherish as a as a coach and i think any time a father can see his son play and back then it's rosenblatt in rosenblatt it's it's something that is treasured and i'm just very very pleased to say that he had a lot to do with the success of that 94 and 95 team there was a lot of talent on that club but let's face it the catcher is a very important part of the team and not only did he live up to expectations but he was a very good leader on that club Junior, how did you guys handle the the father-son player-coach relationship then in those three years that you played for your dad? Um, again, it was – you had to separate. You know, there was never a time uh, that you could allow yourself to you know, be a calling dad or him to call me son. Um, you know, he was really good. It, it um, treated me just like he treated everybody else. And when I came in in 94, it was kind of an older team. I knew him. Uh, they were older. They knew what he was all about, and it was pretty smooth. You know, that, that you got to be careful with, when you're going to do something like that. That team's got to be mature. Thank goodness they were. And then, Junior, when you come back and, and coach, you went out in pro ball for a little bit. How many of those guys that were on that Florida State squad had you played with? Oh, gosh. Um, there's a bundle. Uh, I played against some, you know, guys in pro ball um, that, I, you know, were teammates in, in college, but um, – I wasn't, you know, I wasn't cut out for pro ball. It's a 160-pound catcher. You know, you get away with that in college when you're playing back then. We played weekends and maybe one bit week. Uh, the season was longer. It was, you know, you got a lot more rest. But uh, going into 140-something games, then, you know, I wasn't cut out for that. So um, got in my car and hung them up back then. No cell phones. So this was um, 96, 97, excuse me, 1997. I drove, I was in Lancaster, California, hung them up, drove from how many, 40 miles south, hit I-10 from Pacific Coast Highway. So I'm looking at the Pacific Ocean, started driving. Nobody knew, I didn't, hadn't told anybody. Um, I drove and stayed with Seth Brysick in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, started driving the next morning, uh, didn't have any money. He gave me a gas card, so I, I was eating out of the shell, every shell station I could find. Uh, started driving. Didn't, you know, typical teenager, or actually I wasn't a teenager, but acted like a teenager. And my next buddy was in Past Christian, Mississippi. So I drove all the way to, to his house. Bob Holland was his name. And uh, he still has a picture of me. It was in the dead of summer. It was at the All-Star break. And I was laying underneath a, a shade tree in his apartment complex because he was at work. Nothing but my underwear on and a pillow underneath the shade tree. I'd driven for 20 hours straight or something crazy. And, uh, yeah, I kept on chugging and asked the old man for a job. And I was a volunteer for six years, I think. And then worked at well, six years. It wasn't six years. Yeah, yeah it was. 98. Scott, Z- Scott Zetch and I were teammates in the Cape. So he and I played at Katua together. Um, Junior, talk a little bit about that. And that's why I asked, because I, I think it was hard for me when I had to coach guys that I had played with. How did you handle coaching guys that you had been on the same team with? Yeah, that, that was difficult. And there was only a few, thank goodness. Yep. Uh, when I came back, you know, they were freshmen when I was 
senior. So, uh, but you do, that's, that's, a, that's a tough deal. It's, it's very similar to, you know, the assistant coach going into the head coaching role. You know, I had to sit them all down and say, look, this, things are different, you know, and it has to be that way. Uh, otherwise, you know, they're going to look at you as an equal and you're not going to get the most out of it. You know, and you coached 22 years as an assistant. You know, you guys had averaged over 40 wins a year, eight World Series appearances, 17 Super Regional appearances in 22 years, which to me is, I don't, my brother and I talk about this all the time with, with you two, just to have that many wins every year, I, you're never going to see that again. And, and senior 2029 wins, no one's going to see that again. And for me, it's so special what you guys did together in that time period. Um, and, Senior, can you talk a little bit how gratifying it is for you that Junior did take over the program at Florida State? Yeah, Ryan, it, as much as anything, it was a position that was well-earned when you're an assistant coach. Take it, remember, I was an assistant coach for five years. My first, first year I coached at Florida State, I made 2000 That was a lot of money back then, baby. But anyway. It's just one of those situations that it's gratifying to see a guy rewarded for a job well done. There's so much that he did outside the realm of others, whether it was talking on the phone to someone, checking with the high school coach, because there's so much that has changed in college athletics from day one when I started. He was always there. He was always trying to help out no matter what it took. And for 22 years, he had a lot to do with the success of that program. And, of course, he played three years here. So you could say 25 years he had a lot to do with the success of our program. Junior, can you talk a little bit about the conversations that you did have to have with guys? Because for me, going from an assistant to head coach, your relationships end up being different because now you're putting their name in the lineup and, and they see that and they're going to view you differently. Can you talk a little bit about those conversations you had to have with guys? Yeah. And, and this was advice that came from dad, you know, to go to those leaders, you know, Chase Haney, Reese Alberts, you know, sit them down and then of course have the big conversation with, you know, all of them, but let them take that, you know, responsibility, you know, of, Hey, you know, he's not, you know, meet the assistant coach, you know, where you kind of be their friend. You're kind of the go-between, you know, between the head coach. Um, and, and that was great advice because it was pretty dang smooth for me, you know, to make that transition. Senior, can you talk about Dick Hauser a little bit? And you had to take over for Dick Hauser. And, you know, there's probably a lot of young guys out there that don't know that story. Dick Hauser goes from coaching at Florida State to now coaching the Yankees. Can you talk about that a little bit, please? Well, I was – privileged to be a friend of Dick Hauser's and we played a lot of golf together and we played tennis just a, a, a very very good friendship and when I was I had been in with Woody Woodward for four years and of course I applied for the job and they chose the better man Dick Hauser was just a Gosh, what a wonderful guy he was. But he calls me on the phone after he's selected, and I'll never forget the words out of his mouth. I've finished second before, Mike, more times than I want to mention. Just get the guys ready 
and I'll be there after the World Series. And that that just, I'll never forget it. Get them ready. I'll be there after the World Series. Called me on the phone, offered me the job. And the year that I spent with him is one that I'll always remember because I learned so much baseball from him in a short period of time. And you guys both built that program. Talk about the expectations every year, you know, and handling the pressure of, of you know, winning 40 games a year and expectations of going to the College World Series every year. Can, how did you guys handle the, the pressure of, of dealing with that every year? You know, I, I think it's just the competitiveness of us. It, it, yeah, it's, it's always good to have a goal. Our goal is to get to Omaha. But, of course, if you can get to 40 wins, it certainly enhances your chances of getting to Omaha. And we had guys on our team that were great leaders, and, and I could tell a number of stories about great leadership. But I think mainly it was the competitiveness of guys like Michael, like Minkiewicz, and I could go on and on and on and on about the great leaders, but that was as important as we got close to our goal. That's when the 40s wins came into play. Okay, if we can get this, we can do this, we can get to 40, we get to 40, we got a chance to host, if we can get to win the ACC, we got a chance to host. All of that kind of runs together, and a lot of things have to happen in order to win 40 games. And the credit goes to the coaching staff, other than me, and certainly the outstanding players that we have, have had in our program in all of these years, the leadership of the players goes unnoticed. And there are a number of stories that, that we will share some about the great leadership that we've had. Yeah. And I, the Cape league was great to me because I played up there and then I got a chance to coach. So I, Brett Groves and, um, Kevin Cash and Zach Diaz all played for me at Falmouth. Um, and, you know, for me, Kevin Cash is a wonderful story of a, a, another converted catcher there. You know, Junior, you've got some, you know, some parallels there with a converted catcher who has a great big league career then and has been a, a tremendous big league manager. Uh, you know, just some very unique stories. And my background with Florida State in the 80s is I grew up in southern Indiana, so Richie Lewis – uh, came oh. out of the southern Indiana area. And his dad loves you, by the way. I would see his dad every once in a while on the recruiting circuit. Uh, but that's what I knew about Florida State in the 80s. You know, watching Florida State was Richie Lewis just because he was from that area. And you didn't see a lot of that back then of guys from, from our area going to bigger schools like that. They usually stayed closer. Um, Junior, what advice do you have for young assistant coaches out there right now that are trying to get into this profession? Um. First of all, I probably wouldn't advise it. Uh, <laughs> you know, the recruiting side is, you know, taking a, a life of its own. And, yeah. you know, it's, 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 uh, it's difficult, you know, if you're, you know, gung-ho on doing it, then just get ready to recruit. That's the name of the game now. And uh, you're going to be away from your family. You're going to be some long, long days sitting in the sun, you know, watching guys play. But uh, you have to do it. And, uh I'd also advise to make sure 
you know, who you're going to work for. You know, there's plenty of horror stories of guys that are brilliant baseball minds to go and work for, you know, a, a personality type that isn't suitable to them. And, um, you know, things don't work out there. And then you get the label of, okay, he went to this place and this place and he's bouncing. And, you know, it, you just got to be real careful. How do you pick that? I mean, you and I were fortunate to have dads that were in it. So we, I think we, we picked right. Um, how, how do you help guys with that part of it? How do you, how do you know? I just say, you know, to do your homework and really do your homework. Don't say, oh, because the money's there and go, you know, there's, that's generally what guys do is they chase that money. And, you know, now their quality of life is, isn't what they want. And, um, you know, again, they're working for somebody that, you know, they're miserable with and, and life's too short for that. Senior, how can we continue to grow the game of baseball? And you've you've started a long time ago, and you've seen kind of the changes. How can we continue to grow the game of baseball? I think the only way I can answer that is just like we do with anything else in our careers, just get up early and don't ever be satisfied. Do what's right. Do the best you can with what you've got. Don't get down when things don't go your way, whether it's something that you feel like you need and the administration doesn't feel like you need it, you can't drop your head and, and pout. You've got to just keep battling and do everything you can to understand that you, as the guy that is running the show, cannot just drift off and feel sorry for himself He's got to keep battling, just like he teaches his team, battle for 27 outs. Junior, what are some other tips, guys that are going to take over a program at any level? I don't care if it's youth, high school, college, pro. What are some other tips for guys that are going to be head coach or manager for the first time? It's along the same lines, um, you know, who you're working for is important. You know, your associate AD, your athletic director, um, you know, again, are they really invested in baseball? And a lot of people think that they are, and now all of a sudden they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, they don't you know, give a rip about baseball. And it doesn't matter if you don't have the support of the administration and how smart you are, how hard you work. You're never going to get, you know, where you need to get to or where you want to get to. And, um, you know, it's, um, it, it's not easy. You know, people think, oh, okay, you're head coach. And, you know, it, there's different animals that <laughs> you the fundraising side, I mean, here we are in a pandemic. Obviously, nobody could ever predict this, but, um, you know, the money's always – you better be good with numbers. Let's put it that way. Junior, what are you going to have your guys do? When they when you get the all clear, what what are you guys planning on doing with your guys? just depends on what they allow us to do. You know, I'm hoping they say, okay, you can work with them this summer. You know, if the summer league's all shut down, uh, then I'm hoping they let us work with them this summer. You know, if not, I hope they give us more in the fall, more games in the fall, more practice time. Because as you well know, our games meant to be played every single day. And these, this long layoff is not good for anybody. Yeah, realistically, just in the conversations that you've had with your guys, how close are they? Um, you know, how much have they been able to do? Not much. Yeah. Florida was, you know, especially my guys in South Florida, because they, you know, I get texts that just got run off from one park and, you know, the, we're going to this other cage and see if hopefully the, you know, the cops aren't there and run us off. But that's, you know, all they can do is to find a home in their craft and, um, you know, just doing whatever they can. Senior, talk about, I mean, 22 years in the same dugout then coaching together. Uh, what are some of your best memories of those 22 years you guys coached together? 
Well, we had some discussions. He didn't exactly <laughs> agree with everything I wanted to do. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's just something that uh, I cherish. I, I, I cherish the time that he hit the game-winning home run against <clears throat> the team that's 500 miles south of Tallahassee. It was, it, it was all over everywhere, and still is. Is people have anniversaries. Well, I got it on my phone the other day, well, about a month ago, about that home run that he hit against Miami. But I think the, the main thing I'll always remember is the number of times that he was able to not only participate as a player in the College World Series, but to coach in the College World Series. It's the goal of Florida State baseball is get to Omaha. Yes, 40 wins is important, but that's not the top of the mountain. The top of the mountain is getting to Omaha, Nebraska. Because his grandkids run the dugout. You know, that's something that uh, it's about the only time we'd ever see them, but, you know, they, they both in that dugout. Junior, what about all those World Series experiences help you? I mean, you, it seems to me, and I never got a chance to get there. I'd, I'd watched games there, but it just seems like it probably helps you ride the highs and lows a little bit better during the season. Yeah, it definitely does. And, um, you know, it's something that we've always discussed with the team. You know, there's when you look, you're looked at differently. You go back home to your homeboys, you know, they're all like, man, you played the College World Series. You know, we all grew up watching it. You know, it's something that um, is truly special. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard as heck to get there. He made it look really easy for a long time. But, uh, you know, the amount of work and discipline and you got to have luck. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, that factor in. How much are you talking about Omaha with your teams? Uh, I mean, now we do all the time when we're together. But, you know, I haven't mentioned anything. I went and took a picture of Hauser the other day from center field and sent something out trying to, you know, motivate him, something to, you know, lift him up uh, because, you know, it's hard as heck, you know, for, it's hard for everyone. Just imagine, you know, college baseball player, you know, 17 games and drop a hat, we're done. And uh, so try to motivate him. What has changed the most about recruiting? You've been doing it for a long time, Junior. What has changed the most about recruiting? Just how early. Yeah. You know, everybody's, you know, going out and getting kids. And, I mean, I've got two eighth graders already. Yeah, I cannot believe. I'm almost embarrassed to say that. But uh, it's like like he would say. He, he said, look, if the guy can play for us, you know, next year, if he's that talented, you know, okay, he doesn't get any better. Well, you know, and, he, and the, you know, the qualities of a good human being are in his uh, personality, then go ahead and do it. You know, but you got to make sure. And, uh, and if they're out of state, you better – Dang sure, make sure. A lot more money getting spent on out-of-state kids. What tech are you guys using, Junior? Are you guys using much tech now? I know that's probably been the biggest adjustment on the development side over the last maybe five years. Is you know, are you guys using a lot of tech right now? Yeah, we do um, because it's so prevalent everywhere. Um, thank goodness, you know, I got assistant coaches that are a heck of a lot smarter than I am. Uh, I again didn't come up with that. You know, we were like that um you know i know a little bit about rap soto and track man and the spin rate and i know enough to not short circuit but um there's a lot of stuff that jimmy's looking for with pitchers and 
when you get those vitals and then you delve into stuff, then you, you say, this guy's really going to be good. He's really going to throw hard at the extension, you know, and, um, you know, Mike is, is well-versed. He comes from the pro side. And uh, so we do, we, we take in a lot of video, try to get them to facilities that have it so that we can get the data and uh, things match up. And, you know, hopefully we've laid our eyes on them in a camp or seen them, you know, in some tournament previously, you know, just time to take all that information and put it together. With the amount of experience you've had recruiting, got to be fairly easier, easy for you to maybe walk into a ballpark and, and look at a guy and be like, okay, he may have a chance. With arms, yeah. You know, arms, it doesn't take long at all to make decisions on them. But the hitters, you better have a lot of data. You know, heck, I'd look good for a weekend. You know, you better – then you get me and I'm a 220 hitter. But it's, it's one of those things that you got to be careful with the position players um, you know, the, the body types and the athleticism, that's what's hard to find these days. It's kids don't get out and run and play basketball and football and all these things to really translate to baseball, but you don't get it from baseball. And, um, you know, we're, Mike and I, Metcalf, is our recruiting coordinator, are on the same page. We like those athletic guys that, um, you know, can score first on a double and score on a base hit from second. It makes it a little easier. I, for me, I thought that was the hardest thing to project is whether a guy was going to hit or not, just from the failure side of it at the college level, you know, because this is going to be the first time that, that guys have failed uh, for an extended period of time. Hopefully they don't, but they're probably going to. How were those conversations that you would have? Say you got a struggling hitter. Uh, what were some of the conversations or some of the conversations that you're having with guys to try to help them get over the hump? Yeah, you know, the paralysis by analysis is generally that depressing. You know, your your mind won't allow you to. Um, so you, you try to delve into that and try to clear the head as best you can. And, um, you know, try to have just one swing thought. And, um, you know, and, and sometimes you just got to make them take a step back and say, look, man, things ain't, aren't that bad. You know, you're the whatever, starting shortstop at Florida State. You got a gorgeous girlfriend, family's healthy, you know. Uh, yeah, you're one for your last 12, but you're, a, you know, a blooper and a, uh, and a rocket from feeling great about yourself, and things can turn. I love that part of it, just reminding guys that you're still the same guy and you've had a lot of success up to this point. What, you talked about swing thoughts. What are some swing thoughts that you've had guys use over the years to help get them back? Oh, gosh, you know. Where you're trying, generally speaking, the swing isn't the issue at our level. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, it's not, that's not the issue. It's what you're trying to do, where you're trying to hit it. You know, guys want to get out in front and hit fastballs out in front. And that's the kiss of death for hitters. You've got to let the ball get back there to see it longer, to, you know, be able to hit the ball the other way. And, um, you know, it's just, that's the number one issue is guys wanting to get out in front and hook fastballs. Senior, what do you feel like's helped the hitters that you coached over the years? You've coached some great hitters. What do you feel like helped those guys the most over the years be successful hitters? Don't fall in love with yourself when you get a couple of hits. Or if you're not a punching Judy, but you're a singles guy, and all of a sudden you run into one, and the next day you are Sadahara O, and you start trying to lift the ball, that's just – I know that things have changed, but I was never one that was in love with lifting the ball. I want the guy to do what he had done 
the most of, and that's hit line drives. And, and I'm sure that's the way it's taught the many, many programs. We just focus on getting a good pitch to hit and don't try to do too much with it. And I thought you guys were always a great example of, of ha- building guys' strengths on the mound, uh, maybe with not even guys that threw very hard but could, could really pitch. How long did it take you to get to that point, or did you always have it with, with your pitching staff where you had different looks? It always seemed like you had really quality left-handed pitchers. Um, you know, what was maybe some of the thought process with that, with building a pitching staff? Well, he's always, you know, stressed. You've got to be able to land three pitches for strikes at this level. I don't care how hard you throw, you know, how good the breaking ball is. If you're, you know, one-dimensional or two-dimensional, if it's two pitches, they better be, you know, really above major league level in our, for our guys to be successful. So, um, you know, three for strikes anytime. Uh, the changeup is easy on the arm. It's, it's the pitch that the hitters growing up haven't seen. You know, he calls it the great equalizer. And, um, yes, you're right about the left-handers. He's always said that. Give me the left-handers. I remember we had a all-left-handed rotation. Four guys, all left-hander, and our closer was left-handed. And we won about 60 games that year. So maybe there's some truth to those lefties. Left-handed pitchers win. And I think a lot of it is with the change-up. You know, their their best pitch is usually going to be a change-up on the left side. Uh, I, the change-up is the great equalizer. It's – it it really does counteract the bat speed of the upper level hitters that you're going to face at the college level. It takes away their bat speed and throws off their timing. Um, you know, it, it just, that, that part, I, I love that part about the pitching side of it is you don't have to go out there and be able to throw it through the wall. If, if you can pitch and, and throw three pitches for strikes, it's just a great part about pitching. Um, and you guys have always been able to do that. What final thoughts do you guys have? Uh, it can be on anything, coaching, uh, parenting, uh, playing. What are some final thoughts you guys have? That's a, that's a challenging question. Right? <laughs> There's so much that goes into making a young man who really wants to be a college, a Division One player, and follow that into a professional career. And that old saying – it all begins at home. You gotta have a mama and daddy. God didn't make a woman like he made a man. The woman doesn't understand how difficult it is to hit a 91 mile an hour on the inner third of the plate. But you gotta understand that as a father, you can't get to where you're pushing your son to try to do too much or forgetting that he needs encouragement. You need to encourage young people to make them feel important. That's what we've tried to do all of our years together is be sure that those young men know the expectations and then go out and attempt to be the best they can be, but do it as a coach and as a player to the best of your ability. I would say the best advice he's ever given me is surround yourself with good people. You know, you are who you run with. Um, you know, friends are like elevators. They either take you up or they take you down. There is no in between. And, um, you know, that's, you know, again, the best advice he's ever given me. Junior, how much did he push you into baseball when you're growing up? Not at all. Not at all. And, um, 
It was, if, if you want to do this, this is the way it's going to be, though. You know, we're not going to halfway do things. We're going to go. And anything, you know, do things to the best of your ability. You know, and, uh, so, you know, he, he never, ever, as tired as he was when he'd get home, you know, we had a bat cage in the back. And, um, you know, he'd get home, eat, sit on the couch, whatever. I'd get home or whatever. He was never too tired, you know, to go out there and you know, work with me. And uh, so I always remember that and cherish that. Did he try to talk you out of coaching at all? No, no. Um, I was actually, I'm a crim major and I thought I wanted to go into, you know, Secret Service or FBI. Or, and I found out I was going to be working fraud in Miami for 10 years before I could do anything. And I, I said, no, I don't think I want to do that. So I called him and I said, uh, you got to lay next to my mom every night. So you, know, you got anything I can do? You got a job? So um, yeah, the rest is history. I can't thank you guys enough for doing this. Um, Eleven, it's uh, you know again amazing the career that you had, and for Junior to be a part of that. And I said that earlier. I, we're never going to see this again. Uh, for me, just the the overall consistency of the program um, and how many years you did it, and and you guys did it together for twenty two years. We're never going to see that again. I hope we do, but the likelihood of, of that happening is probably not going to be the case. And then junior for you to be able to take the program over and, and keep it rolling. Um, you know, I wish you the best with that, but I can't thank you guys enough for coming on. Absolutely. Brian. Enjoyed it. Thanks Enjoyed so it. much. Yep. Baseball truly is America's pastime. We are all stewards of this great game. I'm so excited to shine a light on these unique perspectives. All of these guests show their passion and love for each other and the great game of baseball. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks for listening to Father and Son, and remember to leave it better for those behind you.